Welcome to the St. Joseph Radio Presents live program broadcasting to you from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. The program that for over 30 years has brought you eloquent speakers from across the globe to help explain, clarify, and evangelize the Catholic faith. Our program covers a variety of topics relating to current issues and occurrences in our daily lives. Now, with the aid of technology, we are able to bring the gospel message to the four corners of the world, where Christ himself did say, those who have ears ought to hear. It is our hope at St. Joseph Radio that through these programs, we can help evangelize the world and change one soul at a time. Now, here is your host to introduce today's guest and topic. Well, thank you, Matt, and I am your host today, Peter Karutz. Boy, that music goes away quickly. Uh, I am uh, your host. This is uh, St. Joseph Radio Presents. We're here live with Father Larry Uber. Father, thank you for being here. Good to be here. It's been a, been a while, actually. A little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let's not that happen again. Yeah, we got to yeah. get on a regular schedule. So today's topic is the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm sure you all know, you tune in and, and, and we're rolling, right? But this, the, as we prepare for these programs, we do a lot of research, a lot of praying, mm-hmm. a lot of searching, and we've come to the solid conclusion that there's no way we can cover this in an no, hour. No, <laughs> no way. No. But but we're going to give it our our best shot, our level shot here. Yeah, you so, bet. Father, would you start us off with yeah, a prayer? Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, the gift of revelation in so many ways that reassures you of, reassures us of your great love. And we certainly thank you for your real presence in the Holy Eucharist, your Son, Jesus Christ. And through the Eucharist, that we participate in the heavenly liturgy, and Holy Communion happens in a truly powerful way, that we are in communion with your great love and all the angels and saints and all our loved ones who have gone before us, and continue to help Catholics everywhere to grow in more and more in knowledge and love of your presence in the Eucharist and in all the sacraments. And let's remember the our great love of the Blessed Virgin Mary as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Father, Son, Father, Son Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, I know we said we're going to drive right into it, and we will, but mm-hmm. I, I just got to say, w- w- one of the things that uh, r- made me think about the Eucharist is... is, is uh, is less the talk in the head, but more the heart. I, we all remember being away from Mass for a couple of months. I guess the laity was, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And we, we, we couldn't have gone if we wanted. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time I went to Mass uh, and I went to communion, received the Eucharist, and sat down and said my, my prayer of Thanksgiving. I cried. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, 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 I was just completely overwhelmed. Um, it, it, it is... It is a reality. It's a relationship with a person, right? Yeah. And, and it's something that we just can't pretend to do remotely. We have to be there in person. Yeah, and the Church teaches the Eucharist, the celebration of the Eucharist, is more than just what we do. It's who we are. Yeah. We are the body and body of Christ. Yeah. So that's who we are as a Eucharist. Right. And to, yeah. to not be able to participate in it, boy, that, I saw hard. a lot of tears when people came back as it was a priest. Hard. Yeah, yeah. It was hard. Well, Father, let's, you know, what is, what is the Eucharist? You know, we, we have a, a, a technical definition for it, or a, I would say a, a better understanding of it. You know, we don't, uh, the, the 
the deposit of faith was left to us at the, with the apostles and the death of the last apostle. But to some extent, we have found better words to describe the realities that were taught by our Lord. Absolutely, yeah. And first of all, too, we, we need to do a better job as a church to explain the Eucharist, yes. because there's study after study, Pew and, and Gallup, that show that upwards of 70% of our Catholics don't understand the Eucharist, that they, don't, they believe it's just a symbolic presence, and everybody who's listening, I think, do understand that it's the real presence, soul and divinity of Jesus present in the Eucharist, and we'll try to explain it. And we have to start with this, this kind of difficult word called transubstantiation. Many Catholics have heard about transubstantiation in their Catholic reign, but a lot of Catholics have not. And so I want to explain transubstantiation. So uh, our, our listening audience can't see this, but there's this wooden thing over across the room, and uh, that one thing with four legs is, is called a what? It's called a table. Table, yeah. yeah. So now, if you were to ask the average person, what is the substance of that thing, as I point to the table, they would say wood. Yeah. But in the If fil- they knew it was wood. If they knew it was wood, and, and if they could see, I mean, you can see plainly. I can see it. Yeah, yeah. And we can, you and I both can see that that's made of wood. Yeah. And when you're in the philosophical world, actually substance doesn't describe the material— Substance describes what a thing is. So the material of that thing, again, I'm pointing to that table, the material is wood, and it is all, for your listening audience, it is all wood, the legs, the chairs, everything. But substantially speaking, when we speak philosophically, substantially speaking, that's a table. Substance describes what a thing is. So now I got in my right hand, only Peter can see what's in my right hand. So Peter, tell the listening audience what is in my right hand, substantially speaking. Reading glasses. Reading glasses. So, And substantially speaking, this is reading glasses. But the material is plastic, and probably even the lenses are plastic, right? So substance describes what a thing is. And now I'm, I'm holding in my hand a... Pen. So again, substantially speaking, this is a pen. So substance in a philosophic world describes what a thing is. Now let's go back to the table. Got it. Okay, so when that material wood was in the woods, and it had bark growing on the outside of it and green things growing uh, out of it, Substantially speaking, what is it? It was a tree. It was a tree, okay? Then somebody came and cut it down and and turned it into thin two-by-eights or sixes or whatever and stored it in a shed. And when you point to that material that's in a shed, can will you convince somebody that that's a tree? The answer is no. no. Yeah. Substantially speaking, what is it? It's lumber, lumber. Right? Lumber. So that's a transubstantiation. That same material, substantially speaking, was a tree— but now it took a transubstantiation. Now it's no longer a tree. It is now lumber. Then somebody took that lumber and shaped it and, and sawed around it and everything else. And now that same material, as we point to that thing, is now a, a table. table. Yeah. So that's another transubstantiation. It's, we can look at that table right now, the material of that, that table, uh, and we say it's not lumber. And try to convince somebody that that's a tree, and they'll can't say, you can't do it. Yeah. So transubstantiation, tra- the transformation of the substance, substance is transformed from being a tree to lumber and now to a table. And actually, we can throw in chairs, too, because it, it's, it's it looks like it's the same material, yeah, right? right? Yeah. Okay, so substantially speaking, at the holy sacrifice of the Mass, what is brought? what, the, what are the gifts brought up? The, uh, bread and wine. So substantially speaking... 
what the thing that is that's brought up is bread, common bread and common wine. And then after words of consecration, substantially speaking, what happens? Or what is it? It is the body and blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord. And that is called, again, transubstantiation. The substance of bread and wine is completely transformed over to the very embodied blood of Jesus, which we believe that it's no longer bread and no longer wine. It is completely transformed over to the very body and blood of Jesus. Yeah. Now, what's the challenge with that transubstantiation is it's still—my senses are telling me that it still looks like bread and tastes like— Wine. It's, it still seems like that. Yeah. And with the eyes, uh, your natural eyes and your natural senses, it certainly does still look like and taste like bread and wine. However, with the eyes of faith, it is not bread and wine. It is truly the body and blood of Jesus, soul and divinity, and you can only see that with the eyes of faith. Mm -hmm. And we who are blessed by God to see that, it's a blessing. And it's a, it's a shame that a lot of people don't see it, but they're, they're not graced with the, the gift of faith. Yeah, but we, we, let's continue your example of the table, okay. because you and I can see the table, and the, but our listeners, they knew that the essence of what we were pointing at was table. Very good. They didn't know that it was wood. They didn't know the color, right? If next week... Uh, in between now and next week, I paint that table blue. It's still table. The Correct. essence of it is table. If I perceive it with my senses, and realistically mm-hmm. so, honestly, so it blue, it doesn't change its essence. It's substance. It's substance, right? Yeah. It's substance. And our listeners, in their mind, as we walk through this, that table was metal or for mica or or laminate or wood or whatever it is, but 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 its sub- substance is right, still tableness. Is still tableness. Yeah. So when we receive the Eucharist, when we we receive the bread and wine that has now been uh, consecrated, which is now the body and blood of our Lord, it looks like bread. It looks like wine. Our senses are perceiving it, but it has changed. Mm -hmm. It has changed. Yeah. And to give you an example, when you when you talk about other Catholic, other other Christian denominations besides Catholics, it's you know you're generalizing. So this is not a fair generalization. But we, we I think it's important that we use this generalization just so that we can explain Catholicism and the true teachings of transubstantiation. There are some Protestant denominations that believe in consubstantiation. Mostly Lutherans. Mostly Lutherans. And, yeah. and so what is that? Well, that is they believe that there is a, there is a transfer, consubstantiation, but the the bread and wine still exists and mingle in the very in, in the body and blood of Jesus, but it's symbolic because the the, the uh, substance of bread and wine still remain in their in their theology. But for us Catholics, it, the, it's no bread and wine. And so, sometimes people ask me, well, when are we going to come to Mass and receive the blood, or, or, or receive the wine? And my response is never. 
you're never going to receive wine at the holy sacrifice of the Mass, because it's not wine. Right. It's the blood, the precious blood of Jesus. Now, you can go to your wine cellar and receive wine, but after the concert, words of consecration, it is completely the body and blood of Jesus, soul and divinity. And then we consume the extra precious blood when we were, when we were you know, uh, dispensing of the precious blood, and then the consecrated uh, uh, host is stored in the tabernacle. And that's why we can continue to receive Jesus, because it will always be Jesus present in the consecrated elements. Now, somebody who was a cynic said, well, I guess since you Catholics believe that that's the body and blood of Jesus, and after you receive the very body and blood of Jesus, I guess I'm supposed to genuflect to you. And I'm like, okay, that's a cynical way, but, but let's remember, too, though, that when we receive Jesus— the form of the, the consecrated bread and wine remain with us, but only for a short time. Short time. Short that our time. body breaks down and the form disappears. But what's left is the graces. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and so at one, we don't know exactly when that happens, but at one point the form does disappear. And our body breaks it down. It's kind of like uh, when somebody had corn on the cob the night before. Well, then, should after they received the corn and the cob and they ate it, well, should we call them corn and the cob? No. no. Their, their body broke it down, and, and now it's probably sugar, maybe fat for some of us, yeah, too, you yeah. know? But it, your body breaks down, it takes away the form of the corn and the cob. Right. And just, it, yeah. just like you gave that example of a tree and then lumber and then uh, a table, it, the form does change. It, it's important, because yeah. a word became flesh and dwelt among us, form does matter. Yeah. So there is a, a, I'll call it an urban legend. I've heard it so many times. There must be some truth to it. There was a, a mass where the, the parish priest saw this particular person always running out of mass just as soon as he had took communion, received communion, and bang, he's out the door. So this one day, he sent two altar boys. He's, he says, when that guy goes running out of mass, you follow him. So what happens, these altar boys, you know, they, they ran out, you know, and their vestments and everything and wow. kept the candles lit. And, and they're walking right next to this guy and, and, and following him. And he's like, what are you doing? Father told us to do this. You know? So he's wandering around. He finally comes back into church. Mass is long over. And there's, you know, and, and, um, and, and uh, he says to the Father, why did you do that? He says, because, because you had our Lord in you. And, and as it, it is a short time, but it's a wonderful, intimate time. It is. My mother's grandmother. So my mother had passed away 12 years ago at 82. Uh-huh. Her grandmother, get, this is how long ago it com- comes, right? Yeah. So she's a little girl talking to her grandmother. And her grandmother used to say, when you, and, and this is not uh, a directive to the church. It's mm-hmm. just a, maybe a pious practice. Yeah, but sure. she, she said, when you, when you receive communion, don't, don't chew the communion. It says, take a moment Take a moment to, to appreciate that it's you and the Lord together. You can ask him anything you want at that moment. Oh, man, You know, it's yeah. just he and you. And also remember that at, in, in those moments, in those moments, in Spanish momentos, in those moments, you are united. You together with your family here on earth. Those who have passed away, you're all literally in communion. Yeah. Right? So what, what does... A family do to share a powerful intimacy, but through a meal. But 
this meal not only does it is a powerful intimacy, Holy Communion, but like you said, we're we're taking in Jesus. So that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is Saint Joseph Radio presents, coming to you live from Saint Louis, Missouri, the Rome of the West. I'm your host Peter Krutz, and this is Father Uber with us today. We're talking about the Eucharist, and uh, we we're going to run out of time. But so so all right. So we talked about transubstantiation. Mm-hmm. Talk about consubstantiation. Uh, I, I, I was the godfather of a girl who was uh, uh, LCMS Lutheran, so I read the Book of Concord and the commentaries, et cetera. And mm-hmm. look, Luther and, and Ulrich and, and, um, and the other guy, I can't remember the Z word. Uh, oh, uh, Zwingli. Zwingli. Yeah. You know, they were all fighting about what is the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And finally, Luther says, I really don't care. Mm-hmm. You know what? That's the terrible. That's the worst answer that they yeah. could possibly give. Really? But for the Protestants, it is a symbol, mm-hmm. right? Good. It it's is. a pious symbol. But come to the church where you have the reality. Yeah. As as a priest, I I didn't realize this un- until we we were going through COVID. Um, you know, when you when you when God calls you to be a priest, you still don't lose that need for a family as a man, right? Yeah, right. And my family was always going to be the parish. And as a spiritual father, one of the most intimate moments I have had for 25-plus years was coming down with Jesus from the altar and having this intimate exchange with one person after another of my flock coming up and receiving the Eucharist. And it was just—I didn't realize how—I think that's one of my favorite parts of the Mass— that I'm, I got Jesus in my hand in the patent, and then I'm giving Jesus to my flock, and I just felt like a proud papa and yeah. this intimacy that I have. And I got to tell you, having wearing the mask just kind of took that away. Yeah, I and I, I'm not trying to get on a soapbox, yeah. but it, it it whether it was right or wrong, it yeah. just took it away. And uh, and I'm like, I want to see behind the mask, and I want them to see my face. And it all highlighted this negative situation. Highlighted the great intimacy that a priest has with his flock at that beautiful moment with Jesus. So, yeah, it's it, beautiful. It is beautiful. Yeah, it really I, is I, awesome. I, 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 maybe it's one of these first times I was back at uh, church uh, receiving the communion. But I, um, I remember seeing people. You could almost feel it. You could almost feel the the change in people as they were approaching to receive the Eucharist, and then they came. And I thought, wouldn't it be amazing to be able to hear the, the, the prayers that each one of these people are saying and feeling and mm-hmm. the, that, that relationship? Because that's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. We're talking about relationship. Um, there's a saint that was uh, had his feast day just recently, St. Peter Julian um, Imad, I can't even pronounce yeah. it, E-Y-M-A-R-D. And he was uh, uh, he founded uh, uh, several religious orders, but he talked about the Eucharist in three pl- three ways. Mm-hmm. He said it it it's um, it creates a sense of our, God's people. You said that mm-hmm. right? We're, we're the body of Christ. It it generates a society, right? It's a it's a it, it it's a way of doing well and good for each other. And most of all, it it creates family. It does. Yeah. It really does. How awesome it is that you see biological families coming together, and they wouldn't be friends otherwise, but the Eucharist brought them together. And we see that over and over again. It's pretty awesome. It is. Yeah. It is. So we can't help talking about the Eucharist without diving into Scripture a little bit, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, my goodness. Oh, yeah. And 
uh, I get a lot of my information from, of course, the Catechism of the the Catholic Church, and one of the most beautiful things I learned was from uh, Dr. Scott Hahn and Dr. Brand Petrie and all these beautiful scripture scholars, just amazing how they pull out all this rich theological, sacramental theological, theological stuff with our, the Scripture. So we have to start with Exodus 12, right? That's that's where, uh, just to remind our listening audience, so God moved on Abraham, and then Isaac and Jacob, and then Jacob wrestles with a, an angel, and after that the angel decides to name him Israel. And then Israel has 12 sons and one daughter, and then they have children, they become the 12 tribes of Israel. And eventually Israel and his family end up in Egypt, uh, because of a famine, and then 430 years they spent in Egypt. And then this is where Moses shows up, and then they were enslaved by the new Pharaoh, and then they were they were crying out to God, get us out of here. And this is where Moses shows up. And of course, the, our listening audience is very familiar with the 10 plagues that happen, and the 10th plague is the most important one as far as the Eucharistic theology. And of course, our listening audience remembers that it's the uh, the plague of the, uh, the the angel of death, where the angel of death was going to strike down the firstborn of all all living creatures. However, with that though, the uh, the Israelites were called to do a Passover supper on the night before, and Paul in in Hebrews beautifully explains that. These, these Israelites were celebrating this liturgy called the Passover, and there wasn't complete um, um, confidence that what was going to happen was going to happen. So they, Paul beautifully describes how this is about faith, and faith is hope in what you can't see, right, in uh, 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 Hebrews 11, verse 1. And so he describes that beautifully. So these people, these Israelites, are celebrating the Passover— and Exodus 12 describes what they, they're supposed to do, and part of it is they're supposed to procure a lamb, uh, a spotless lamb, and pick the best lamb from the, uh, the sheep or the goats, and then you roast it, you slit its throat, and you roast it whole. And in, uh, in Hebrews, or excuse me, in Exodus 12, verse 45, if you accidentally break the bones when you prepare this animal, it's not a spotless lamb, so you've got to throw it out and try again and you find another lamb. So it's got to be a spotless lamb, right? And then also, too, after you drain the blood, then you take a hyssop branch, and you dip it in there, and you spread it over the doorposts of, of the, the, uh, your mantle or your doorpost, and the angel of death's going to pass over, and, and, and this blood's going to save the lives of the firstborn, your, the lives of your family. And then you know the rest of the story. The angel of death came and struck down all the firstborn, including the Pharaoh's firstborn, and that compelled the, the Egyptians to let the Israelites go. And they went out in this journey for 40 years and into the Promised Land. Now, it, when, you, when you move forward then, that was about—when uh, they, they left, it was about 1,400 years before Jesus. And now during the time of Jesus, so you're talking about 1,400 years later, uh, Jesus shows up. And I love this uh, exchange in John's first chapter, verse 29, where um, John the Baptist sees his cousin. And what does he refer to his cousin? But the Lamb. There's the Lamb of God who truly takes away the sins of the world. So notice how John's already set in the stage that Jesus is the Lamb. And he's connecting Jesus with the, uh, 
the, the Passover celebration, okay? And then we know from Matthew and Mark and, and Luke, they had the institution narrative, and, and we also know that John does not have an institution narrative. He has a famous bread of life discourse. Chapter 6. Chapter 6, and you feed on my body and you drink my blood, okay? And then you, when you do that, you have life in you, eternal life. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, they had the institution narrative where Jesus says, this is my body and this is my blood, and he does this all right before he's about to, uh, to, to go through that kangaroo court and then the passion and his death. So all this is very biblical, and we're just scratching the surface. We are just scratching the Woo. surface. And, and, you know, some of the things you, you mentioned in, before our break, and see if I can hit a couple of them. Sure. What, one of them is... The, the sacrifice of Pas- the Passover, right? Mm-hmm. So the, you said that the Jews used the hyssop branch to spread the blood on top mm-hmm. of the mantle. Uh, our Lord, when he said, I thirst, they put that uh, sponge soaked in... Uh, hyssop. Hi- hi- well, yeah, they put it on a hyssop branch yeah, yeah. and brought it up to yeah. him, right? And, and we, we know that one of the things that confused the apostles when they were celebrating... The Passover is there was no lamb, lamb. and the lamb is essential to it. it Back is. to the Jews at the time of the Passover, they ate the lamb, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So it all, all, all ties ties together. It ties together so so well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and in order for this to happen too, they need to they need to. They need to eat it. They, right. need, they need to consume right. the, the Passover right. celebration. Right. The Jews had all kinds of different sacrifices. They, they had cereal sacrifices. Mm-hmm. They had sacrifices. Of, uh, uh, they had Holocaust, which is yeah. where they burnt it all up. But then they also had the sacrifice where they did consume the, the sacrifice. So it's all very reminiscent of, of, of um, Jewish tradition as well. It should have made some sense to a Jew of the first century. Absolutely. And the challenge for us is, as we're not as familiar with the Jewish tradition, so that's where we got to keep learning. And the, the Old Testament is, is there to, to learn about this, that this is a development that happened over hundreds and even thousands of years that God put this, this history of salvation in front of our eyes. Yeah, but this is something that be, we're finding different words and in different language to describe it, but but remember when Paul, Paul is, you know, right there at the beginning, if you will, you know, he said to receive uh, the Lord unworthily is to be uh, a subject, you know, is to be responsible for the body and blood of him. Right, a capital punishment, if yeah. you will, a great sacrilege. They did not regard this as a symbol. In John 6, our Lord didn't say, ah, sorry, guys, I was just talking symbolically, mm-hmm. right? No, people went away. People went away. We'll come back and talk about that a little bit afterwards. So we have a lot more to talk about. Please tell uh, your friends to come and listen. Uh, We have another 25 minutes or so after this quick break. So your job is to call people to come and listen, and let's all better appreciate the Eucharist. Hi, this is Matt Logeman with St. Joseph Radio with a great gift idea, a St. Benedict bracelet, a trendy accessory for men, women, and children that not only looks good on everyone's wrist, but is actually armor for the spiritual battlefield. This unique bracelet is handmade in Europe and contains 10 medals within the braided cord in the adult size and seven medals in the children's size. On the front of each beautiful medal is St. Benedict holding a cross in his right hand, the object of his devotion. On the back of each medal is a cross. Surrounding the back of the medal and cross are the letters V. 
R-S-N-M-V-S-M-Q-L-I-V-B. And Latin reference, which translates, Be gone, Satan. Never tempt me with your vanities. What you offer me is evil. Drink the poison yourself. And finally, located at the top is the word Pax, which means peace. All bracelets come packaged with an informational card and the St. Benedict blessing, which your local priest can administer. This gift is for everyone you love and care about, including yourself. Available from St. Joseph Radio. Check the website at www.saintjosephradio.net. St. Joseph Catholic Radio is proud to announce the launch of SJEN-TV, the St. Joseph Evangelization Network. SJEN-TV is a premier online Catholic broadcasting network providing quality Catholic programming 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. We have programming such as live studio interviews, St. Joe's Java speaker presentations, current Catholic issues, and the pro-life series. We're featuring the many talented speakers out of Orange County, California, and this Archdiocese of St. Louis, Missouri including Professor John Gresham, Father James Mason, Karen Nokemper, Rick Hollerick, Bill Federer, and many more. To review the program list, go to sjen.tv or on Roku, sjen.tv. All this programming is free, and we are welcoming sponsorship of new programs. Find out more at sjen.tv. Well, I think we're back. This is St. Joseph Radio Presents coming to you from St. Louis, Missouri. I'm your host, Peter Karutz, and we're here with Father Larry Uber, and we are talking about the Eucharist. We, we, when we cut away here for a moment, we just talked about uh, John 6, which we're going to come back to right here in a moment. But I'd just like to remind everyone that if you have uh, anyone who you would like to nominate as a uh, Catholic Woman of the Year, time is getting short, please give us a call, 636-447-6000, 636-447-6000. Get that nomination form in. You know, likely they'll say no, but, you know, we all need good examples. Please. So please think about that. Father, we were just talking about John 6 when we went away. So if I could, let me, let me read a little bit of it. We all know it, but let me just uh, get to the crux of it. Um, so our Lord says, uh, oh my goodness here. I'm sorry. I'm trying to skip to the best part. Okay, the Jews murmured about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? Do we not know his father and his mother? Then how can he say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them and said, stop murmuring amongst yourself. No one can come to me unless the father uh, who sent me draw him and I will raise him up on the last day. So we, we get down where it says, I am, say, amen, amen, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the desert, but they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh for the life of the world. And then the Jews got a little bit freaky-deaky on that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's important to know is the Greek word for to, to, to eat yeah. of my body and drink my blood is, is some version of trogos. And... It's like Jesus was upping it. So first he was saying, okay, uh, take me in. Right. 
And then he, then the next time he says, because he says it over and over again, unless you eat my body and drink my blood. Well, we all, in the English, we only have one word, and that's eat, right? right? And then Jesus saying, okay, now he steps it up. Next time is, okay, consume me. Uh, and then the last part is, he says, gnaw on me. And so he's up, and he's not like, oh, wait, whoa, whoa, no, I didn't mean that. I meant, um, you know, he no, he, he ups it every time. Unfortunately, we only have the one word, and that's eat, to eat. And unless you take my body and drink my blood, eat me, eat my body and drink my blood. So it's unfortunate that we just have that word because we're missing out on he's up in it every time. And so he's not backing off and he's not placating what he's saying. And then his own disciples, of course, we have the 12 apostles who are also disciples of Jesus. And then we had disciples of Jesus, hundreds of them were following him around. And then early on in John's sixth chapter, as you just pointed out, some of his disciples said, wow, this, this is crazy. We're right. out of here. Right. And that, that just supposed then, did Jesus mean this? Well, look at his own disciples. They, they thought he meant it, and they couldn't handle it, and they, they left. Right, because and and like you said, our Lord said it over and over. I, I've said it a couple of times. He and he he equates his food to his body and blood to bread and wine. He he does it right here over and over. And as you said, this is something tough for Jews. I mean, just to be empathetic, to hear somebody say this in a Jewish ears of the first century is really kind of shocking. Ooh, yeah, yeah. But yeah. what did and and you know, looking at Peter, for example, not the most learned scholar in the whole wide world. But he heard the words of Jesus, right? But he's in relationship with him. Mm-hmm. And, and Jesus said to them, do you want to leave? And Simon Peter answered him, Master, where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You know what? Sometimes we don't have to fully understand each and every part of the miracle, right? But, we have, but, but it's not unreasonable to believe. If our Lord says so, I'm good. So Peter was probably an older man. Yeah. When and the other apostles were probably younger, like teenagers. Yeah. And there's there's biblical reasons why we we believe that, and we don't want to get them now. But so here's a man who's experienced some things, and he he was searching and he experienced great catches. He experienced bad catches and. And he searched, and he's like, well, where else are we going to go? By the process of elimination, he says, you had the words of uh, everlasting life. That was kind of Peter's way of saying, I tried everything, and nothing else works, and you're the only one, and I can relate to that. By golly, I tried everything underneath the sun, and it wasn't until I was 25 there I'm like, hey, where else am I going to go? And he, you know, realistically... Peter did not have the words of eternal life. He was going to die. He he didn't, but he had such great confidence in this man. And, you know, we, we, we think of this as being a hard, a big stretch, but think about it. We've seen it in the movies all the time. You know, you have somebody on the, on the um, walkie-talkie, on the microphone, talking somebody else through disarming a bomb, and he says, all right, cut the red wire, cut the white wire. And you know, as soon as that person did something remotely incorrect, they were going to blow up and die. Or you have the, the amateur landing the plane who's seeing all these controls that mean nothing to him, yeah. dials and levers and doohickeys, and they say, well, take the third button on the right and flick it down. And this, because there's that great trust. Peter spent three years with the Son of God, the creator of the universe. He didn't understand the totality of the world and infinity, but he had confidence in this man. 
Yeah, and we get the advantage of having 2,000 years of history. Yeah. Can you imagine if you're a first century guy, and even three years you're following him around, and then all of a sudden he says this? Yeah. I, I don't know if I would have. I thought he, I think I might have been one of the disciples said, you're crazy. Yeah. But thanks be to God, I have 2,000 years, and we have 2,000 years of of history to to reinforce our faith. But first century people didn't have that. And so, wow, it was an act of profound faith on their part to truly believe. And people say, well, yeah, but they saw the miracles. Yeah, but this is something really, really so unusual that there's nothing like in the world where somebody says, feed on my body and drink my blood, and I'm begging you to do it. Right. There's no place in the world like that. Nope. Nowhere. Nowhere. And... Well, and, and of course, as we believe in the Eucharist, that our Lord is fully present in each host, in each tablet, tabernacle, in each church, all over the world, all at once. It's amazing, yeah. But, you know, we're, that, that doesn't sound too difficult. This is the person who created time, space, and matter out of absolutely nothing. Yeah. Yeah, this is his creation. So... <laughs> It, it, is, it is a faith statement, and we have to make it, decide to make it or not. But the blessing is that we got 2,000 years of rich t- church history to help us to make that. Th- I think it's easier for us to make that decision as opposed to first century Absolutely. guy like St. Peter there. Absolutely. So, now, what I want to do real quickly is, because everybody's heard, heard this and everybody's familiar with this is, as far as our listening audience, to, to get to uh, Matthew and his institution narrative there— uh, as you as you know that Jesus had it was very important that Jesus celebrate the Passover with his disciples, his apostles for the last time, and it, that was just so important to him. Okay, and in, in Matthew we we see uh, we see this, and I'm trying to draw it up here. Just one second here from the listening audience here. Okay, there we go. So, and you guys know that in the the Passover supper there are four cups that you consume, and there's the cup of remembrance and the, the cup of, of, of um, blessing and all that stuff. So, And Jesus interrupts the liturgy, and first of all, he takes the matzah bread, which is that sweet bread that's underneath the, uh, the napkin, he pulls it out, and that's the bread that he uses, the unleavened bread, that this is my body. And then he takes the cup, and this is my blood. And he specifically says that I will not drink uh, the fruit of the vine until I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So at that moment, Jesus doesn't finish the liturgy. It's not over yet. It's not over yet. And so he carries that liturgy, he draws it out into Gethsemane, he crosses the Kindron Valley and up up the, the Agony Garden. I think I think as they left the, the room, they uh, the scripture says they sang a hymn. That's and we right. think that's the great Hallel which would have been the hymn between the third and fourth cup. cup. Yeah. So he's extending this liturgy yeah. into the Gethsemane, and then, of course, we know that later on the, later on the night, the torches and clubs come and to, to arrest Jesus. And it's what, when we read about the passion of Jesus, we are reading about liturgy. Now, I want to oh. stop right there, okay? And we Catholics see the Bible as a liturgical book. Now, Peter, it wasn't recent until we can turn to our Bible for personal consumption, right? Right. Uh, the the Gutta Press wasn't invented until like the 15th century or the 16th century, and even after that was developed, uh, 
you weren't. A, most people couldn't afford to to get a Bible. Right. I, I mean, a book was probably a year's or two years' wages. Any book. Yeah. Much less scripture. Yeah. So the fact that we can have our Bible on our lampstand, that's a recent phenomenon. So the Bible wasn't written for originally for personal consumption, but now we can. So that's thanks be to God, right? Absolutely. Originally, the Bible was written for liturgy. And so what we see then, when we see Matthew and Luke and, and, and Mark describing the Passion, they knew that eventually this description was going to be meant for liturgy. And when Jesus extends the liturgy out to Gethsemane and in the kangaroo passion court that he had to deal with, and on the cross, he knew that the cross, he extended the liturgy all the way out to the cross. And then we know what happens at the end of the, his, his cross. He says, I thirst. And then that's where you described how they put, uh, they soaked a sponge with common wine or vinegar on a hyssop branch, and they lifted up to his, his lips, and pretty much right after that, he said, it is finished. Now, what is finished? Certainly his, his life is coming to an end, at least his earthly life as we know it, but the liturgy is finished. Right. The Passover. The, the Passover liturgy. The new covenant is, is now is sealed. Is done. And by the way, it's no coincidence that he dies in the middle of the afternoon in the middle of when the lambs are being slaughtered. Right. The lambs would have been hung for three hours from noon until three. Wow. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. And so when we, when we celebrate the, Pass, uh, the uh, Easter Triditum, a lot of Catholics understand that when on Holy Thursday the priest comes in, he starts off with the Holy Thursday with the sign of the cross, and at the end of the Holy Thursday we have adoration, but the priest doesn't end with the sign of the cross. He, he just quietly scampers on out of there. And then we have the, the people have the opportunity for Eucharistic adoration. And then on Good Friday, which is the only day that we don't celebrate the Mass, and we'll, we'll get, we can get into that, the priest comes in without this, quietly, and he prostrates himself and then stands up, and we have the opening prayer. There's no sign of the cross because the liturgy extends, continues on. And then when he gets done with the Good Friday service, Again, there's no sign of the cross. He just quietly leaves, and then we have veneration of the cross. And then when we had the vigil mass, he starts off with the, 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 uh, the liturgy of the lights, the, the fire and everything else, but there's no cross. There's no sign of the cross. And then finally, at the end of the Easter vigil, when hopefully we have lots of people receiving the Easter sacraments and everybody received the, the, um, the Eucharist and everything else, that finally he ends with the sign of the cross and the, and the blessing, because now the liturgy of the Easter Vigil is, is, is finally over with. Yeah. yeah, we walk with the Lord for those three yeah. days. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing, and it highlights what Jesus went through. Yeah. It's pretty cool, huh? It is. It's great. Now, the other thing is, is this then. So in John's Gospel, he talks about Jesus passing away, and the Jews wanted to quicken the death of the three that were, that were being crucified, Jesus and two others. And they went to Pilate and said, hey, we want to, because it's a Passover is coming up, we want to end this quicker, we want to break their legs. And so Pilate gives him permission. And, he, and so the soldiers go and break the legs of one, and then break the legs of the other, and they come to Jesus, and he's already passed away. And notice what John sp says. They don't break his legs. 
Now, what's important about that? Because the lamb has to be unblemished. Not a bone was broken. Exactly, in, yeah. in Exodus twelve forty nine, And that, again, that's John's way of describing that Jesus is the Passover, the lamb, the spotless lamb for God. And then we go to Revelations, and Jesus is referred to in, in the book of all the 22 chapters of the book of Revelation in, in three ways. He's uh, the bridegroom who, who, uh, who marries his bride, the church. He's, he's also referred to as a lion from the tribe of Judah. But by far, in the book of Revelation, in those 22 chapters, he's referred mostly as the lamb who was once slain who lives forever. Right, yeah. And again, John, who writes the book of Revelation, is again reconnecting Jesus to the lamb, to the Passover. Right. Yeah. So this is, again, in Jewish eyes, very, very clear, right? We have this, this blemish, the spotless lamb. The unblemished. The unblemished, the, the pure sacrifice. No, no legs broken, no spot, no nothing, right? And, and who could be more spotless or blameless, if you will, than our Lord? The only adequate sacrifice for, for all of our sins. This is St. Joseph Radio Presents coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri. I'm your host, Peter Karutz. We're here with Father Lair Uber, and uh, this is uh, a short conversation on the Eucharist. Um, the <laughs> yeah. Eucharist. We've touched on a lot of things. In our last segments, um, I, I, I just thought maybe I'd, I'd, I'd uh, mention one thing, and that is, you know, many, many people have different thoughts on the Eucharist. You know, you mentioned it in the beginning, that surveys tell us that 50 to 80 percent or 75 percent of Catholics don't believe in the real presence. Um, I would just challenge everyone to go to church. I, I'm not even saying during Mass. Don't, don't go during, go to, go to Mass, please, as often as you can. But go to, ma- go to church, go in quietly, kneel down, and be right there in the hidden, you know, behind, you know, the Eucharist is hidden in the tabernacle. But be there, be in his presence. And you tell me if you can't feel it. Yeah. Definitely. You will feel it. Yeah. And I think if you ask the average person, do you want to believe that God loves you so much that he's present in the common bread and common wine? Do you want to believe that he loves you that much? Yeah. 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 If that's possible. Well, then what you need to do then is go in front of the Eucharist and demand from God, hey, God, I'm your your child. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. So I need help. Mm -hmm. So give it to me. Yeah. And really be a, a... uh, spoiled child, and, and st- to go to your daddy and say, "Hey, help me with this." Yeah. If if my if the church honestly teaches that, then I need help to believe it. So go to God and demand it. Yeah, and, and he'll he'll give it to you. He'll and he's he's you. ready to do it. You've heard of Jesse Romero. I, oh yeah, I, I love him. He he used to be a police officer, and I, he he tells a story about a, a young kid who he's picking up, who's going to be arrested for the third time, and he's going to jail for a long time. And he's got him in the back of the car, and he's he's uh, saying, "Oh, please don't do this, don't do this, don't don't bring me back. I'm 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 dead now. You know, I'm 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 going to be going to prison." And he says, "I'll give you one chance." He says, "You go talk to a friend of mine, and I, I, I'm." And then we'll see what happens. I'll do it. I'll do it. So he takes them to a church, an empty church, and they kneel down in front of the Blessed Sacrament. That's this awesome. boy's life was changed. Yeah. God is, it isn't us doing all of this. Our Lord is running to meet us. Just, just, just allow him in. 
Just allow him in. Yeah, the Eucharist is telling us, don't do this on your own. Yeah. Go to God and ask him to help your unbelief. Please. I mean, that's what, what Jesus did for St. Peter and all the apostles. He was present for them, and it helped them, even though they were in the first century, to believe when Jesus made those radical words, this is my body and this is my blood. It helped them believe. You, we have to have an encounter with, with Christ, and the Eucharist makes it happen. The Eucharist is an encounter, and, and that's what it is. It, it is a person's becoming united. It, it, it is a relationship. You know, I, w- I was talking to someone, uh, uh, someone I just met last night, and they were talking about, uh, you know, do I have to go to church in order to be uh, a better person? Or I forget what the words she actually used. But I said, well, you, you, you love your husband, don't you? He said, oh, yeah. You spend lots of time with him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's why, you know, it, it isn't that I go to Mass because I want to get something out of it, right? maybe I do get a lot out of it. I probably I do. But I go because I love that person. Yeah. And I want to be in relationship with that person. And what a more intimate relationship can there be than to be one? Absolutely. Yeah. And with the Eucharist, too, Jesus is trying to urge us to do more than just to be the, a good person. I mean, how many times have you heard this? I love John the Cross. He says... The gospel message meant to more than just train a horse to run faster, but to teach that horse how to fly, Yeah, to be something completely different. And we call that, we, we want to be divinized. I mean, sure, you want, don't you want more than just being a good person? Don't you want to participate in the very life of the Trinity that you get divinized, you sanctify yourself, and you're, you transform who you are completely into the, into the body of Christ? That's what I want. Yeah. And then the other thing, too, that I think we need to touch on real quickly, it, well, <laughs> again, is the covenant theology. And this is oh, where doc, please, Dr. Yeah. Scott Hahn is so beautiful. I highly recommend his book, The Fourth Cup, and so many other things, too, covenant theology. With a contract, we have an exchange of goods and services. But a covenant is an exchange of persons. Of course, one of the most beautiful covenants that we experience is the marital covenant, right? Where two people get married and they they decide to give totally themselves in the in the covenant of marriage. And when you're dealing with covenant, when you're dealing with a contract, you can complete the process and then it's done. But when you're dealing with covenant because it's an exchange of persons, it's not ever done. It's it's ongoing. For the rest of your life. And God in the Old Testament, we see how he has a covenant relationship with the, the, the first chosen people, the Jews. And inevitably what happens is God fulfills his part of the covenant, but the Jews don't give themselves back to God, and they fall away in idolatry with this God and that God and everything else. And, that, and that's where... But then the prophets teach us that there's going to be one final covenant brought on by the Messiah, and the Messiah does come in Jesus Christ, and this is the last covenant that we're going to have. And so when we come to the Eucharist, you're giving God an opportunity to show that he has fulfilled his covenant, the new and eternal covenant. Do this in memory of me. This is the covenant. And you get an opportunity to, to fulfill your, your covenant then, too. And with that, then, we want to uh, transition to the words of St. Justin the, Apost- the uh, a Martyr. We call him an apologist. Uh-huh. And, uh, he was saying he's sorry for something. Yeah, yeah, not the case. No. Uh, not the case at all. He was not sorry. He was actually very proud, and he was unapologetic. He's and, defending he's a position. He's defending his yeah. faith, yeah. yeah. 
he had a re- wonderful relationship with a, uh, a, a Jewish rabbi named Trifoy, and he wrote so many beautiful words, and we have these, these letters. But one of the things he did, in, and he wrote this, this first apology around the year 150 A.D., so we're hearing this, these words of uh, Justin, and he's describing what the Eucharist is, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some of the, these beautiful words here. He, starts, he goes on by saying, This food we call the Eucharist, of which no one is allowed to partake except one who believes that the things we teach are, are true. Now let me stop right there. So I remember my brother... Uh, has Protestant in-laws, and they came to my Mass of Thanksgiving way back 27 years ago, and they were like, how come we can't receive? Well, do you believe that this is the very body and blood of Jesus, soul, and divinity? Well, no. And like, well, okay, well, Justin teaches us that you, unless you believe, you're not allowed, you're not allowed to receive it. And by the way, if you do believe, you'll be Catholic. Right. Okay? So Justin here, these are the words of Justin, 150 years, and he says, um, uh, that no one is allowed to partake except for those who believe. And then he says, and has received the washing for the forgiveness of sins and rebirth. Okay, for he, why is that? For we do not receive these things as common bread or common uh, wine, but as Jesus our Lord, our Savior being, uh, and we have, we have, been taught that the food consecrated by the word of prayer is the flesh and blood of the incarnate Jesus. Jesus taking bread and giving thanks said, do this in memory of me. And then he goes on, I'm going to skip here. On the day called Sunday, there is a meeting in one of the places of those who live in, in the country or city, in the memoirs of the apostles and the writings of prophets are read as long as time permits. So that's the liturgy of the word, right? This it is, the, is the liturgy of the word, right? So this is the mass. And when uh, the reader finishes, the president, the priest, uh, comes up in a discourse and urges and invites us to imitate these noble things. And it's from a year 150. So and remember, this is the homily. This is the uh, three years of the Eucharist. Please go out and uh, go to mass. Spread the word. God bless you. You've been listening to St. Joseph Radio Presents from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. If you would like to join us in our evangelization efforts, you can order a copy of today's broadcast or any of our past programs by visiting us on our website, stjosephradio.net. That's S-A-I-N-T, josephradio.net. Or call us, 636-447-6000. It's all at your fingertips to help us evangelize the world, bringing the good news of Christ to everyone you meet and change one soul at a time. Thank you for your prayers and support. Until next time, may God bless you and your family. This has been a presentation of St. Joseph Radio Presents.